0: Every so often we have a story in sports that is so tantalizing that it demands a deep dive into the topic, an underworld depth perspective. And if you've been following the NFL in recent weeks, you may have noticed that the majority of news stories, the majority seem to revolve around one franchise, one organization, the New York Giants, the New York Giants, one of the oldest and most valuable sports franchises in the world, also happens to be the most intriguing franchise in the National Football League at this very moment, for all the wrong reasons. This is a losing franchise. A franchise that went 5-11 and last season, with one of the least talented rosters in the league, also happens to be the most interesting. How the hell did we get here? Well, fortunately, one of the true good guys in this business... And my good friend, Evan Silva, is here for a deep dive retrospective of one of the NFL's storied signature franchises, where we ask the question, how the hell did we get here? Hoping to explain how it all went wrong and what the Giants can do to finally get it right. Let's go talk to Evan and be sure to follow him at Evan Silva on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. The man, the one and only Evan Silva from Roto World is on the Underworld Pod. Evan, talk to me.
1: It's good to be back, man. It's good to be back. And, you know, we're going to do another deep dive. Um, It'd be cool to make this an annual ritual. Of course, we uh, did a deep dive on the Browns. We got a lot of stuff right about the Browns. Oh,
0: we nailed the Browns from every direction. Right.
1: And now we're going to do that about another team.
0: We are? I don't have any agenda for today. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just have a, a handful of general questions, Evan, to ask you. Just about the NFL, slow news week. But I did see that Mike Francesa is claiming influence over the New York Giants front office that he convinced them. To not franchise tag Landon Collins. That's the latest from the New York sports media titan Mike Francesa. Is that possible? Even the greatest egos of our time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How could he come to believe that he has that kind of influence? I mean,
1: how? Well, I I do believe him. What? The way that he maybe presents it is not. It's in a more roundabout way than him actually having the direct impact. Like he even admits that he doesn't have. A relationship with Dave Gettleman whatsoever, the the Giants GM. But he does impact the Mara family. And the Mara family, of course, uh, John Mara is the principal owner of the Giants. And I think that you have to understand that Mike Francesa, first of all, you need to know who Mike Mike Francesa is. He's been on the air for over 30 years in New York. He has Eli Manning on his show every week during the season. So he is the opposite of objective, when it comes to anything Eli Manning related. And you know the Giants are an Eli Manning-centric team right now. And Mike Francesa pushes huge weight in the city. He impacted a generation of New Yorkers, and then their kids grew up listening to him.
0: Yeah, he's the original sports talk radio gas bag. Yeah. He invented the genre of sports talk radio.
1: Yeah, and people now realize that because, you know, there's this Twitter handle named Funhouse that started to highlight how wrong Mike Francesa is and how lazy his takes have become, uh, you know, as his career kind of winds down.
0: I don't think his takes were ever well thought out. I think that he was just the first to bloviate Mm -hmm. in the space and that as time has gone by, the standards for sports analysis have risen. And he's been doing the Mike Francesa shtick for the last 30 years. And nothing has changed. He doesn't know anything, Evan.
1: He doesn't know anything. But people hadn't started to really fully realize that until the last couple of years. And there, a major impact, like an earth-shattering event occurred toward the end of the 2017 season when Ben McAdoo, who the year before had gone 11-5 in his first year as the Giants head coach, the, the bottom fell out on the Giants in 2017. And they were 2-10. and 10. And Ben McAdoo, in week 13, benched Eli Manning in favor of Geno Smith. The very next day, Mike Francesa goes on this extended takedown rant about McAdoo. The very next day, you can easily get it on YouTube. McAdoo, I think, you know, in in the meantime, has been proven right about Eli. But the rant itself from, from Mike Francesa is very entertaining.
0: I do respect a good takedown rant.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great takedown rant. But... You know, you have to understand that it had major reverberations throughout the city and it hit home with the fans big time. First of all, their longtime hero who had led them to two Super Bowls got benched. And then now they have this heavyweight voice in the city with this great rant and fan base starts sending uh, letters to John Mara and making their voices heard. And McAdoo is fired and Jerry Reese, the GM, is fired and Basically, every significant decision that the Giants have made since Eli was benched has been an Eli apology. And now they are an organization that is beholden to fear-based decisions, feel based decisions. They're afraid of their own fans. They're afraid of their own media. And the fear and the sensitivity has culminated in a situation where they react to what Mike freaking Francesa says.
0: Oh, they're afraid of Mike Francesa. Mike Francesa took out Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo. I'd be afraid of Mike Francesa if I were a coach in New York. I'd be terrified of the guy. I would send him gifts the moment I accepted the job. Lavish him.
1: Yeah. So Mike Francesa, so you you have to understand that Mike Francesa has these really strong takes about the Giants, even more so than the Jets. You know, he works in New York, but I think he's more of like a a Giants guy than, than he is a Jets guy. And, He's got all these takes, and all these takes are being carried out at this point by the Giants organization.
0: Well, it's important to note that these takes are QB wins driven. QB wins, W-I-N-Z, that is the underpinning. His takes are driven 100% by this guy won us two Super Bowls. There's no other data or analysis backing up his positions.
1: Well, QB wins from over a half decade ago. Because they haven't been winning anything. I mean, they have losing records in five of the last six seasons. That's
0: right. Expired QB wins.
1: <laughs> right. This milk is bad. So Francesa has all these strong takes. We could just go through them. Francesa says that McAdoo's an idiot for benching Eli. Eli's reinstalled as the starter of the very next week. McAdoo's fired. Francesa says, keep Eli. They keep Eli. Francesa says that Eli's struggles are all the offensive line's fault. They blame the offensive line. Francesa says that Landon Collins can't cover. He's not worth franchise tagging even at 11 million, which is the third lowest franchise number behind kickers and punters. They let Landon Collins walk. Francesa calls, calls out Odell Beckham, calls him a poison. John Mara calls him out publicly. Francesa says that you know Odell Beckham is a cancer. They might need to trade him. The Giants start listening to trade offers for OBJ and actually might trade him at some point. So there are just too many parallels here between what Mike Francesa is saying and what the Giants are doing to not draw a strong connection.
0: This timeline is both unbelievable and totally believable. I'm listening to your words. My mouth is agape. And yet I'm somehow not surprised that Mike Francesa is the New York Giants puppeteer.
1: Yeah. So I think that we need to kind of get to the bottom of how could this happen? it's not just because it's a big city i mean i live in chicago the radio voices here are not influencing what the bears are doing they can be highly critical of the team but they are not running the show whereas in new york this guy has incredible pull i sent you a a video recently about um, how mike francesa pretty much got the mets to sign mike piazza and i totally believe that story Um, If you go back and do any research into it, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Steve Phillips, the then GM of the Mets, had no interest in bringing Mike Piazza to New York and went on Francesa's show and said that. And they had gotten word from Mike Piazza's agent that Mike Piazza wanted to go play for the Mets. Mike Francesa does a rant just like the McAdoo rant about Mike Piazza and how dumb the Mets are for not bringing Piazza to the Mets. And guess what? Uh, They get on the phone with um, Nelson Doubleday, the chairman of the Mets, and the chairman of the Mets listened to that rant and they signed Mike Piazza.
0: And overrode Steve Phillips. Yes. So you believe that this goes straight to the top, that I often am critical of Dave Gettleman. But what I'm hearing is the issue emanates even higher up in the organizational hierarchy, that it goes straight to John Mara. You think he is the root of the problem? That he is influenced by this boisterous blowhard?
1: Yeah, so you remember on Schematic Atrocities, we talked about a little bit, at least on that show, about how Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owner, was very impacted by public thinking in the media, how it sort of played a part in him firing Sashi Brown, firing the wrong guy, You know, keeping view, firing Sashi Brown. And After Seth Wickersham wrote that piece about the Browns after the season, Jimmy Haslam immediately broke a contract that his felonious trucking company had with ESPN. So, you know, I mean, this is not a concept that is limited to the NFL either. Business owners are concerned with their customers. They should be. They have to be. They also have to kind of know when to trust the media or the public or trust the guys that they hired to run the operation. Jimmy Haslam obviously got it wrong. Fired the wrong guy. Look, I don't, this is not a defense of Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. Ben McAdoo, I don't think, had very much of a future as an NFL head coach. But I, we do know that he was right about Eli, and we do know that John Mara caved to public pressure, and that began this multi year narrative um, that the Giants started to put into place and influenced all the hirings that they made throughout their front office, who conducted the search for the new GM and on down the line.
0: But Ben McAdoo did not have a fair shot at coaching that team. The one time that he showed true leadership, because that's what leaders do, they have to risk unpopularity to do what's in the best interest of the organization. I believe that benching Eli exemplified great leadership and he was punished for it. And now Ben McAdoo is a punchline. Like he's viewed as the guy with the silly mustache who looks like your mom's new boyfriend who's always late picking you up. He'll never get another head coaching job again in the NFL, but all he did was, A, take the team to the playoffs one year, and then, B, make a difficult yet admirable decision to change quarterbacks when Eli Manning was the least efficient quarterback in the league at the time. I just can't believe that that was a controversial decision, but it was because Eli Manning is somehow regarded with such esteem in new york that he can do no wrong he's regarded with more esteem in new york than joe montana was regarded in san francisco again surprising yet not surprising at all
1: right and these are these are difficult decisions that good teams winning teams make you know and it was ted thompson had to make a very difficult decision moving on from Favre to go with rogers that's right that was very unpopular I lived in in Wisconsin at the time. People hated Ted Thompson for for doing that. Green Bay Packers
0: are the only organization in the NFL that does not have a proper owner. It is owned by the town, Mm -hmm. so it is run by committee. You don't have a singular owner who can pick up the phone at a moment's notice at the conclusion of a radio show, and that one phone call disrupts the entire franchise.
1: Belichick had to make this very difficult decision moving on from Drew Bledsoe who was a solid starter to the future, which was Tom Brady. You know, last year, the Chiefs had to make a difficult decision to give up, you know, Alex Smith coming off a career year, and they went, what, 13-3 and or something with Alex Smith, moving on to Patrick Mahomes. That was a courageous decision. In retrospect, it seems obvious, but there were
0: plenty of sports media gas bags, like Mike Francesa, criticizing that decision, looking at the QB wins, and imploring the Kansas City Chiefs to ride Alex Smith, and that would have been suboptimal. They knew what they had in Kansas City in Patrick Mahomes. The blowhard with the microphone has no fucking idea what he's talking about more often than not. Now, we do. We have microphones, but we use advanced metrics, and we dive deep into the data points that matter in order to form our opinions. Most of these guys with microphones are just winging it, Evan. Evan.
1: And Alex Smith, like, the Chiefs didn't even really get much for him, for Alex Smith. I mean, they got, what, a third-round pick and and a slot corner?
0: Oh, they should have got more. Kendall Fuller wasn't enough.
1: Again, you know, another example of a winning franchise making a difficult decision was was when the 49ers and Bill Walsh moved on from Joe Montana and moved on to Steve Young.
0: Exactly.
1: These are tough decisions that great leaders make, and they separate – the smart run organizations from the dumb run organization. So we just laid
0: the case for Ben McAdoo to get another job. So you're welcome, McAdoo.
1: After McAdoo benched Eli in favor of Geno Smith, Mike Francesa goes on his rant. Immediately, ownership steps in, reinstalls Eli as the week 14 starter. The Giants scored 18 points or fewer in three of their final four games in 2017 with Eli as their starter. But he did mix in one big game. He threw for 434 yards on 57 pass attempts in a week 15 loss to the Eagles who went on to win the Super Bowl. And that one game, that one performance, was more than enough for Giants ownership to set about dedicating their entire 2018 offseason to one unified goal. And that's where we get to the MIGA concept. What's MEGA? Make Eli great again. Oh, <laughs> he's washed what are you doing
0: John Mara who is this John Mara why does he believe Eli Manning can be made great again and why is he inserting himself into this process and not allowing his general manager and his coaches to make these decisions
1: well let's let's go to who John Mara is right because he's the third generation owner the the classic example of a spineless trust fund baby With no backbone whatsoever, and he's just, you know, he's wisping in the wind. He doesn't know what to do. He's never had a a real accomplishment in his entire life because he just was born into filthy wealth. And you know, this is this is a great example of an organization of of first of all why it always starts at the top. It always starts at the top, and that's right. It's hard for us to kind of gauge that because. These owners are usually out of the limelight. You know, they don't necessarily talk all the time, um, and you know, I think the general public just thinks that they're they're brilliant men just because they have a lot of money. But once you start to understand that a lot of these guys were just born into the money and they just happen to be born into wealth, you know, that that doesn't mean that they're like great football men by any by any means. And this guy is so sensitive to. Uh, people like Mike Francesa and public thinking that he is just...
0: He's the plastic bag floating through the air in American Beauty. And this is typical. This is what we see with the third generation. It's often the patriarch, the founder of the organization. In this case, it was Tim Mara in the early 1900s. He bought the New York Giants for 500 bucks. He was a bookmaker. That's what he was. That was his profession. This was not an industrialist. People think of the Maras, the Mara family, New York, like they come from railroad money. They don't come from railroad money. They're part of the aristocracy now. They weren't in 1925 when Tim Mara bought the Giants for 500 bucks, right? He was a bookie. And his son, Wellington Mara, took over the franchise and devoted his career to running the New York Giants. He wasn't a successful businessman outside of football, but he was one of the high profile owners that spearheaded the NFL AFL merger. And I believe, as is often the case, we look at the Trump family, you have Fred Trump, second generation Donald Trump, then you have third generation Eric Trump. So Wellington Marrow was the Donald Trump of the New York Giants. His accomplishments are well documented. There's nothing on this John Mara, Eric Trump resume. Nothing. It's empty. Go to Wikipedia. Type in John Mara. There's nothing there. All he does is sit at home and listen to sports radio.
1: Sorry, go ahead. It's not even an exaggeration. So they wanted to put this mega concept, make Eli Great again, into action. And this meant flooding the front office and the coaching staff with Eli Believers, members of the MIGA movement. If you weren't going to embrace MIGA, you were out. Ernie Accorsi conducted the search to replace Jerry Reese as GM. Ernie Accorsi drafted Eli Manning in 2004.
0: Stop it. Stop it.
1: The original MIGA. Yeah. You're not serious. That was a decade earlier. And Ernie Accorsi previously ran the Panthers GM search in 2013 Hiring guess whom? Dave Gettleman.
0: Stop it. You can't. No, this isn't right. These dots cannot connect so seamlessly, Evan. There's just no way.
1: Dave Gettleman and another obvious MIGA, he was the Giants' pro personnel director when Eli Manning was drafted in 2004.
0: Stop it!
1: I didn't know that! All right, so they have their GM in place, okay? You know, they have their high-ranking consultant that they trust in place, both major MIGA members. And so now they need a coach. They went hard after Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia to replace Ben McAdoo. Not necessarily original MIGA members, but they started to narrow down their search based on whoever would buy into MIGA. And neither of these guys would buy into MIGA, so they were out. So the Giants end up settling for Pat Shermer.
0: Because they're human beings with eyes and brains that actually fire some neurons here and there.
1: Plus, they're probably asking Belichick, like... What do you think about Eli? And he's like, well, if they're going to make you stick with Eli, don't take those jobs. And you can become head coaches the following year.
0: Or they themselves just have common sense. Right.
1: It's crazy.
0: This mega concept is crazy, Evan.
1: So the Giants wind up settling for Pat Shermer, who went 9-23 in his previous head coaching stint with Cleveland. And this is when they really started to just get out to the public this narrative that Eli's struggles were all because of the offensive line not because of Eli's complete lack of quick-twitch athleticism or the fact that he'd been you know, carried by Odell Beckham's slant routes during the 2016 season. Remember, in 2016, they were good. They were 11-5. and five. They had a great defense, but their offense was all smoke and mirrors built on Odell Beckham's slant routes.
0: I was told Ben McAdoo fixed Eli Manning, remember?
1: No, I mean, Odell Beckham fixed Eli Manning. And then the next <laughs> right. year, when Odell Beckham got injured, The offense fell to pieces, and that's when Eli Manning ends up getting benched for for Geno Smith.
0: Oh, the coach worshipers hate it when I bring up Ben McAdoo.
1: So John Mara at Pat Shermer's introductory press conference noted that one of the things that really stood out during Pat Shermer's interview with the team was that his team building philosophy would be, quote, you have to block them. And Shermer himself said during the introductory press conferences, everything starts with the offensive line. I mean, not many people get second chances to be NFL head coaches after failing as badly as Pat Shermer did in Cleveland. Again, he went nine and twenty three. So he was willing to set aside whatever evaluation he had of Eli Manning joining John Mara and Ernie Accorsi and Dave Gettleman in the MIGA camp.
0: So they end up with Pat Shermer because he was the most qualified head coach and candidate that would accept the delusion. Exactly. Now, what about Gettleman? When does Gettleman enter the picture?
1: So obviously, Dave Gettleman is a crony of Ernie Accorsi. I mean, Ernie Accorsi, again, led the GM search. Had already gotten Dave Gettleman one job, which, by the way, he got fired from.
0: How badly did Dave Gettleman cripple the Panthers?
1: Well, I think that first of all, you need to understand what Dave Gettleman's background is. And he spent 14 years with the Giants. He was a pro personnel scout. He was not a college scout. He was not an NFL draft scout. Um, The last time that he was in any sort of college scouting role was well over two decades ago, ago with a different organization. When he was with the Giants, he was a pro personnel guy. And you know, immediately after those roles, that's how he got the Panthers' GM job. So he's a pro scout. You have to understand that there's a difference between a pro and a college scout. And a pro scout is like they'll do advanced scouting. They will go scout the teams that their team is about to play in the upcoming games. They will have influence over free agency in the trade market, but they're not dabbling in college scouting. And if you look at Dave Gettleman's background, In pro scouting, I mean, this guy has been absolutely atrocious. First of all, Sashi Brown swindled a fourth-round pick from Dave Gettleman in exchange for punter Andy Lee, who is no longer with the Panthers. That fourth-rounder went on to become Jarvis Landry. (laughs) In Carolina and New York, Gettleman has let Josh Norman and now Landon Collins walk in free agency with only a compensatory pick in return. Gettleman used a third-round comp pick pick the Panthers got for Josh Norman to trade up in the 2017 draft for a player by the name of Deshaun Hall, who got cut after one season and is now with the Eagles. Dave Gettleman's big pro personnel move in his last year with Carolina was saddling the franchise with Matt Khalil, left tackle, for five years and $55 million. at the time, a top three left tackle contract. Not only did Matt Khalil have chronic knee problems and didn't even play football last year. But Matt Khalil is terrible. He's awful, and he's a salary cap albatross on the Panthers cap to this day. So this past year, let's look at what Dave Gettleman did in free agency. Again, this is supposed to be his specialty, okay? He's a pro personnel guy. Um, He put together one of the worst free agent classes in NFL history. Listen to this. He made Nate Nate Soldier. So he's now saddled back-to-back teams with Matt Khalil and Nate Soldier. Nate Soldier does not have a very good health history, and he's certainly not one of the best left tackles in the league.
0: He has chronic back issues.
1: On the wrong side of 30, etc. He he gave away three pass rushers, cut Romeo, Aquara, Devon Kennard, and traded Jason Pierre-Paul in like a pick swap trade. Um, and those guys last year for their teams combined to have 26 sacks. The Giants as a team had 30 sacks, second fewest in the NFL. Dave Gettleman replaced those guys, Aquara, Devon Kennard, and Jason Pierre-Paul with Kareem Martin for three years and 21 million. They got one and a half sacks in 16 games out of Kareem Martin and Connor Barwin for two years and five million. They've already cut Connor Barwin. Okay, uh, on the offensive line, which the 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 ownership pushes this narrative that you know it, it's everything is dependent on the offensive line. Gettleman, of course, signed Nate Solder. He also signed guard Patrick Omame, who has already been cut. Signed him to a three-year and $15 million deal. He's already been cut.
0: So Dave Gettleman specializes in wasting roster spots and lighting money on fire.
1: Exactly. They signed Jonathan Stewart. He's already been cut. They signed Cody Latimer to be their third receiver. This is really something that bothers me. That was the worst third receiver in the league. It's like playing with 10 men. They're 11 personnel, three-receiver package It was Cody Latimer or Russell Shepard, special teamers, okay, and they were playing with 10 men. They essentially set up Pat Shermer to fail. This is an 11-personnel league.
0: That's institutional neglect to refuse to sign or draft a third receiver that is even close to above replacement.
1: I mean, you're just talking about getting everything wrong, and they did wind up making a couple of few draft picks, which we can hit on, but... In the areas where Dave Gettleman is supposed supposed to be a specialist, they got everything wrong. And we kind of know that the draft, look, you know, we've had guys like Josh Norris and and Dane Brugler put together their top 100s. And those top 100s are, are Arif Hassan, who, by the way, you should have on the podcast. He's a really smart guy. He's gone back and looked at the success of those top 100 rankings. And, like, Josh Norris will have a better top 100 than the nfl does in terms of draft picks dane brugler has had a better top 100 than the nfl has in terms of draft pick success so the nfl draft it's so dependent upon just having good fortune guys you know not not kind of losing it after they get a, a big signing bonus guys staying healthy you know guys being put in position to succeed guys not getting buried on the depth chart except confidence you know these these guys are 20 to 22 years old you know think about you when you were how were you a super confident individual when you were 20 or 22 years old I was yeah most people are kind of trying to find themselves at that age but the NFL draft itself it can kind of go either way so you know Dave Gettleman has had some decent draft picks throughout the years but every GM has you know you remember like John Elway had a he's had a couple of great drafts he's also had like Four awful
0: ones. Yeah, some of the worst drafts I've ever seen. Exactly. You're right. The Omame signing was bad. The Barwin signing was bad. Most of these draft picks have been flops. But the move that I found most egregious was punting Eli Apple at the very moment that he was poised to ascend. He had an upward-pointing career trajectory, improving incrementally not only every season, with every game. And right as he was about to smash through a ceiling and become that playmaker in the secondary that every NFL team is thirsting for because playmaking cornerbacks are in such high demand in a pass first league, they dump Eli Apple on the Saints, who are just, I'm sure, thrilled to fix what was a gaping hole in their defense, second cornerback.
1: How does that happen? If you go back and look at how the the Saints defense became the strength of their team at a time directly corresponding with after they acquired Eli Apple. Their defense turned around. It was a liability early in the season. Their offense was crushing early in the season. And by the end of the season, their defense was crushing and their offense had kind of become the weakness of the team.
0: P.J. Williams and Ken Crawley were liabilities. Eli Apple steps in and immediately starts logging a positive coverage rating and performing well across the board and all those advanced metrics on playerprofiler.com.
1: And I could kind of understand trading Eli Eli Apple if he had if he was like in his contract year and you only had like 8 games left of him and you know you could get a pretty good draft pick in return immediately and you didn't have to wait an extra year, you know, for the compensatory process to kick in. But that would have
0: required you to see three years of substandard play. That's a paradox. He never was given the opportunity to even play three years and show growth and development. The cornerback position has a longer development cycle than a lot of other positions. They need to know that in New York, Evan. Dave Gettleman is paid millions
1: of dollars to know that. And he had two and a half years left on his deal
0: unbelievable
1: and he was having the best season of his career with the giants before they moved him
0: they invested first round draft capital in this player they weren't sidestepping a sunk cost dilemma showing great leadership making a difficult organizational decision dumping eli apple at that moment in his career was simply dumb
1: a major impetus for a lot of these backwards thinking teams and the giants are at the forefront of this is just The guys at the top, you know, that we'll call them the team brass, Gettleman, Acorsi, you know, John Mara, just making sure that the previous regime, any players that those guys brought in are gone. And this is like an an ego-driven way to make your decisions. Um, Obviously, they had brought in Eli Manning.
0: Think about how barbaric that is. That's what lions do when they take over a new pride. They kill the cubs from the previous alpha male we're human fucking beings evaluate your roster and make rational decisions don't just dump everybody because you didn't draft them
1: and now we've seen them do that this with eli apple uh their best young quarterback we've seen them do this with uh big snacks harrison who is under 30 their best defensive lineman and we and most recently we've seen that them do that this with 25 year old landon collins who's going who's now going to become one of the most coveted free agent safeties in league history.
0: Evan, in his sophomore season with the Giants, a strong safety, not a linebacker, not a middle linebacker, this is a safety, logged 100 solo tackles in 2016. He's only 25 years old. You're damn right he's going to be a prized asset in free agency.
1: But Mike Francesa says he can't cover.
0: Because Mike Francesa doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Mike Francesa is a sports media relic fossil who came out of retirement so that he could whisper into John Mara's ear over the WFAN airwaves or wherever the hell he is now. What about the Saquon Barkley pick? At this point, at this point, it's an elephant in the room that All these mistakes could have been erased if the Giants could have somehow acquired a prodigious young quarterback like the New York Jets did in Sam Darnold. And the Giants had Sam Darnold teed up to draft and they passed. And it all goes back to the MIGA concept you talked about earlier, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, according to the MIGA concept, you know, they have to make Eli great again. And that means, you know, in their mind, giving him a really high level running back. And look, I don't have any problem with Saquon Barkley, the player he's, you know, he's going to be the number one overall pick and, and he should be the number one overall pick in every fantasy draft this year. You loved him coming out. Uh, you, th- I think compared him to Laney, Ladanian LaDainian Tomlinson. I com- I compared him to like uh, my, my Franken comp was like a cross between LaShawn McCoy and David Johnson. I think he's the best running back in the league already.
0: He's a generational talent at the running back position. He is a generational talent, that's not up for dispute. Whether a generational talent at the running back position or a generational talent at the punter position significantly helps improve your chances of winning football games is another topic. We don't have to get into the expected points added of carries versus receptions and running backs versus receivers, but suffice it to say that the analytics are clear. You don't draft running back in the top 10 picks period. Even if he's the best running back of all time, it makes no sense to invest in the running game with the top 10 pick, and then to go further, a top three pick in a draft stockpiled with quarterback talent, where one of the best quarterbacks to come out in the last five years in Sam Darnold is available. Passing on Darnold to draft Saquon Barkley is the stinging indictment of Dave Gettleman's career, and this is a career littered with organizational crippling mistakes and blunders.
1: And you note that the analytics are clear on the running back debate. Well, so are the salary cap ramifications because not only is Saquon Barkley not really increasing your chances of winning, he's also the fifth highest paid running back in the NFL. So the Giants' combined 2019 cap commitments to Eli Manning and Saquon Barkley are over $30 million. If the Giants had just self-scouted their team properly, realized that Eli Manning was washed, rather than spending the entire offseason pretending that he wasn't and trying to sell their, their fans a bill of, of goods that he wasn't, they could have drafted Sam Darnold on his $7 million per year rookie deal, kept Lyndon Collins at 11, at $11 million per year, bringing us to $19 million, and had $11 million of that $30 million they have devoted to Eli and, and the running back left over to fix their offensive line, add, ta- add more talent on defense. They could probably sign Teddy Bridgewater easily and you know make him your, your, your veteran stopgap, but that wasn't part of the mega thought process.
0: It was a watershed decision. That decision to draft Saquon Barkley over Sam Darnold was a pivot point in the trajectory of the franchise. It put the franchise on a vector pointing down instead of a vector pointing up. Where now, if you are objectively assessing what do you do with this franchise to maximize your chances of winning in the long term, I believe, I think that the rational approach would be to start a complete rebuild. But what if we go back in time for a moment, think about the New York Giants with Sam Darnold. Do you agree that Sam Darnold is one of the better quarterback prospects to come out to enter the NFL in the last few years? Do you have a good comp for him?
1: Well, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, who spent a a, a lot of years in the league as a pro personnel guy, as a scout, he uh, has been offered during his time at NFL Network. And I mean, I I have like connections at NFL Network. I know this to be true. Brian Baldinger has talked about it as well.
0: Ooh, Evan. Connections. Love that. Throwing the weight around in the industry.
1: Well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm telling you, like, I'm not making this up.
0: There is zero braggadocio in the Evan Silva DNA.
1: So Daniel Jeremiah has been offered at least two GM jobs during his time at NFL Network. Really? Yes. One of them was Tampa Bay.
0: But he doesn't take the job? He wants to be in the media? Yes. He'd yes. prefer to be in media than to run an NFL organization? That seems far-fetched.
1: He gets to do whatever he wants, man. He also calls the, the Chargers games. Um, he, uh, he has like a real big like uh, foothold in San Diego. He's a huge Padres fan. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I kind of know the story of, of, like, how all of this has gone down.
0: He's waiting for the Chargers job to open up.
1: Uh, that's possible. Uh, I think Telesco's doing a good job there, but I, I I bet he would take the Chargers job, honestly.
0: There it is. Yeah. We have completely psychoanalyzed Daniel Jeremiah and his career decisions. <laughs>
1: I love it. I'm guessing about a lot of the. <laughs> we are. We're in your head, Jeremiah. <laughs> No, Daniel Jeremiah is awesome at what he does. He is awesome. And you
0: agree that Sam Darnold's awesome.
1: Last year, he released all the grades that he had given to the quarterbacks over the previous three drafts. And we'd have some pretty good quarterbacks there. You know, Mahomes, Carson Wentz, Mariota and Winston were in that group. Baker Mayfield, of course. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. Yes. Dak Prescott. He had Sam Darnold, he gave Sam Darnold the highest grade, higher than any of those guys, Deshaun Watson. Whoa. He gave Sam Darnold the highest grade out of all of those just coming out of college.
0: And the act of Sam Darnold coming out of college at age 20 was a rare event. We rarely see a quarterback confident enough in his abilities and the likelihood of being drafted at the top of the first round. And then to come out at age 20 and be productive in the NFL at age 20, was...
1: Unprecedented.
0: Astounding. What was the most impressive aspect of Sam Darnold's 2018 season?
1: Through the first five games of the season, the Jets were number 11 in the NFL in scoring. Okay. Unfortunately, both of their top two receivers suffered high ankle sprains. Wide receivers cannot play on high ankle sprains. They tried, but Quincy Inunua, by that by that time, his season was over. Robbie Anderson's season was broken up into pieces and during that time where they were just playing with you know they're out there with Jermaine Curse and undrafted rookie Deontay Burnett I will never forgive Jermaine Curse he was absolutely awful hasn't scored a touchdown and I recommended using him
0: in cash one week and my reputation may never recover
1: oh yeah because he was minimum price and you could project him eight targets yes he was supposed to get 10 targets Evan and he
0: did and he caught one pass (laughs) I
1: know. right exactly So, And then there was an ugly stretch, and the Jets were kind of smart about it. They kind of just sat down Sam Darnold. They're like, you are in no position to succeed right now. But finally, they did get back Robbie Anderson, and over the final month of the season, Sam Darnold had the highest QBR in the NFL.
0: He did? I knew it was a strong December. I didn't know he had the best QBR in the league.
1: Yeah, he was fantastic, and he was a guy that could make plays outside of structure, and you know, played the game with swagger, and um, you know, made just high, highlight real play after highlight real play. Uh, went to Buffalo and engineered a comeback victory. Almost beat the playoff Texans on that in that um, that Saturday game.
0: Yeah, he's just super creative out there. You could see he was under attack. He was facing pressure constantly, had one of the league's worst receiving cores to work with, and yet he's out there throwing passes underhanded, just figuring out ways to get the ball in his receiver's hands and put them in a position to succeed, and again, doing it as the youngest quarterback to start an NFL game ever.
1: And his top two pass catchers were Robbie Anderson, who he elevated to the best stretch of Robbie Anderson's career. And his number two pass catcher was a fifth round rookie tight end, Chris Herndon. Okay, so those are his top two targets. And he has the highest QBR in the NFL for the final month of the season. Um, There are a number of quarterback analysts that are like my go to's because it's one of the hardest positions to Evaluate. We we all know that, and we acknowledge that.
0: Absolutely.
1: So there are quarterback analysts that I, I consider. Dan Orlovsky is one. Tony Romo is one. And Bruce Arians is one. Of course, Tony. They're they're all in broadcasting. Last year, they were all just just blown away by how good Sam Darnold was as a rookie. And um, I think that the Jets are. Although it's you know it, it doesn't feel great right now. Um, I think that you know you can just look at like the health of their salary cap right now and they they can go buy whoever they want that's not necessarily a guarantee of success but they're in a much better position than the giants who held on to a bad old expensive overpaid quarterback and now it's 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 having ramifications throughout the rest of their roster they're losing one of the best safeties in the NFL and they're not going to be able to be active on the free agent market and that's, that's depressing for a team with as many holes. I and mean, the Giants and the Jets have about the same number of holes. The Jets have ammunition to be able to fill those holes. The Giants really do not.
0: It's Sam Darnold would be the 101 this year in the draft. He would be drafted before Kyler Murray. Even without a successful rookie season with the Jets, just as a prospect, Sam Darnold would be the 101 without question this year. And yet. And yet, John Mara implementing a Eli Manning first, everyone else second approach to running the Giants cost him Sam Darnold. It's exasperating. John Mara, he's just, he has not lived in the real world. He has no conviction in anything. He's letting a sports radio blowhard influence him. And this is the bubble that he's created for himself. John Mara
1: is in a big blue bubble. He's the big blue bubble boy. And I think that in last year's draft, there were three clear options and two clear best options. And they took the worst option, which was drafting the running back. The the two good options were, number one, drafting Sam Darnold. Number two, trading down. But they completely ruled out the trading down option. And Dave Gettleman admitted publicly that they didn't even answer the phone. They took no phone calls regarding the number two pick. In a draft where there were five first-round quarterbacks and four selected inside the top ten, weren't even open to the idea of trading out of that pick to stockpile more picks. And if you go back and look at Dave Gettleman's history as a GM, he's conducted five, six drafts now. He has never traded down in the in any round of any draft. Stop it!
0: So he's never traded down.
1: He's never traded down, even in the seventh round. Stop. Yeah. He, during his five years running the draft in Carolina, they had 28 picks because they would trade up all the time, you know, because he thinks that he can outdraft his opponents. So they only had 28 picks. You're supposed to have at least 35. That's before factoring in compensatory picks like the one they got for Josh Norman. You know, you're supposed to have at least 35. They had 28 picks in five drafts, which is 5.6 draft picks per draft. And that was the lowest in the league during that five-year stretch.
0: Dave Gettleman personifies incompetence in the GM position. And with this owner, John Mara, and this general manager, Dave Gettleman, no head coach can succeed in that context. Taking a head coaching job with the Giants is the equivalent of career suicide. And we're going to see that with Pat Shermer. The Giants will be the last head coaching job he ever has if fate shared With Ben McAdoo. So we know that Dave Gettleman is one of, if not the worst, general manager in the league. John Mara's one of the most meddlesome and least competent owners in the league. Let's say the Mara's wake up tomorrow as a family. They decide, you know what? We're going to sell the Giants to Mark Zuckerberg. They're going to sell the Giants to Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg's going to use analytics and find, okay, actually, according to social media, The best football minds are Evan Silva and Matt Kelly. I'm going to go ahead and hire them to run the organization. Evan Silva, general manager, Matt Kelly, a.k.a. the Pod Father, is the director of player personnel. How do we fix the Giants, Evan?
1: Your absolute first move, and I know that we can agree on this, is to cut Eli Manning. Eli Manning is due a $5 million roster bonus on March 15th. If the Giants don't pay the bonus and they just cut him outright, they save $17 million in cap room, and twenty two million dollars in cash. That gives them money to, you know, we can keep Landon Collins now. We can we can sign him to a multi year to a, a long term deal, you know, let's say three years and thirty three million.
0: Should have been extended after two thousand sixteen, but that's beside the point. We have to get to the salary floor and retain what few talented players that we can at some semblance of value. Landon Collins qualifies.
1: Right. And um, so that also leaves us with 11 million dollars in straight cash left over. And I think we could get Teddy Bridgewater for somewhere between 7 and 11 million to be our stopgap.
0: Love that move. Love getting Teddy.
1: Because we don't want to enter the draft with only Kyle Laletta and Alex Tanney under contract at quarterback, right? We, we need something else. But Kyle
0: Laletta shredded the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago. He was the MVP of the Senior Bowl, 11. Are you not aware of that?
1: Oh, that that was big. That, that's kind of like when when um, the the Raiders <laughs> traded for Matt Schaub, and then you know the Raiders fans are, are are saying, well, he was the he was the Pro Bowl MVP. He was the Pro Bowl MVP. A great great move there by the Raiders to trade for Matt Schaub. He was the the Pro Bowl MVP. Do You know why
0: Sam Darnold wasn't at the Senior Bowl? Because he wasn't a senior. <laughs> exactly. He came out early because he's so good. Okay. Retain Kyle Laletta, sign Teddy Bridgewater. What's the long-term solution at quarterback?
1: Well, I think that the majority of Giants fans want the Giants to get a quarterback at number six this year. The problem is that multiple quarterbacks have gone in the top four picks in three of the last four years. Quarterbacks go early. They should. It's the most valuable position in sports. Having a starting quarterback on a rookie contract is one of the biggest competitive advantages in pro football. The Giants do have 10 draft picks in total this year, but their premium ammunition to move up from number six is very limited. I mean, I think they're going to need to get maybe ahead of the Raiders at, at number four.
0: How did they get these picks if Gettleman ever trades down? Compensatory?
1: Compensatory picks. Huh. And they also traded Eli Apple and Snacks Harrison for, you know, day three picks.
0: Oh, that's right. They traded quality young players that, revolutionize the defenses that they landed on respectively
1: yeah and they got and they got one compensatory pick because they did, did an option deal on Patrick Omame's contract you know et cetera et cetera either way they have 10 picks in total but they only have two picks in the top 107 oh because my God. they and, yeah and this is <laughs> see this is why it's hard to fix the Giants is because they forfeited the 71st overall pick. Because Gettleman used it in last year's supplemental draft on Sam Beal, quote unquote Sam Beal. Who's that? I think he exists, a 178-pound cornerback out of West Western Michigan with chronic shoulder problems who didn't even play as a rookie. So they already burned.
0: We don't the- have him in the player profiler database, and we have an we and we conducted an extensive review of the cornerback position and loaded all the cornerbacks that we think could be relevant at all at the NFL level, we don't have Sam Beal.
1: So they gave up the sixth overall pick in the third round to acquire this Sam Beal guy who had major shoulder problems, is 178 pounds, Uh, the shoulder problems wiped out his rookie season, and so they're already out 25% of this guy's rookie contract. I mean, this is like... This is what I'm talking about when when you you make bad decisions and then they beget future bad decisions. And and it's just like a piling on. Really the best way to save the Giants man. And I think that this is we could probably agree this is a case for teams like the Redskins and the Dolphins are going to do it. We saw the Browns do it. They need to bottom out. They need to take a couple years off, save their money.
0: Yeah, cuz they're in a talent vortex right now. They're trapped in a downward spiraling talent vortex.
1: And this is like a very approved approach a fiscally sound approach in the real world for some reason in sports it is frowned upon the idea of doing a full-on rebuild you're what are you doing you're saving assets you're saving money and then when you do have enough assets and, and you know and you're trading down and compiling more assets and then when you do have enough assets then you still you go start buying you know you buy your house maybe you buy a car you know,
0: I talked to Sam Hinkie about this. I accosted Sam Hinkie at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference after he finished talking. He was stepping off the stage. I walked over. I blocked his exit from the room and started asking him questions. And I asked him, do you view what you did as tanking? And he said, no, we didn't tank. Tanking was never the modus operandi in Philadelphia. Our approach was accumulate assets at value. If we believed that an asset was overpriced in some cases a veteran 76er, we would trade them for draft picks based on our value assessment. So sometimes what looks from the outside like a tank job is actually just the correct assessment of value. And you have a decision to make if you're sitting in Sam Hinkie's chair, you can either resign or extend good but not great players at either market value or above and maintain mediocrity, or you can choose not to accumulate more future assets and increase your probability of hitting on a Joel Embiid a year from now. He opted for the latter, and the Philadelphia 76ers are one of the top four teams in the East. Right now, because of it. You can call it tanking, but I looked into his eyes, Evan, and I believe that when he was assessing the roster and their approach to building a champion in the future, they did not view it as tanking. They viewed it strictly from a long-term asset value perspective. And sometimes that necessarily leads to tanking because you go through a period where your roster is heavy on future assets, and light on current assets. And the beauty is, because these leagues incentivize losing, because those with the worst records get the best draft picks, it creates this positive feedback loop where you're rewarded with yet even more valuable picks in the future. And you could argue that the 76ers squandered a lot of their picks. Okafor, Michael Carter-Williams, and they then traded a first-round pick to move up one slot to draft... Markel Fultz so you could argue that the 76ers actually did the bare minimum with this treasure trove of assets that Sam Hinkie helped to accumulate and if we were taking over the New York Giants I agree with you that should be our approach a complete teardown and rebuild because so few NFL teams are willing to go there the problem is you're in New York and you're facing that Mike Francesa microphone and if you go two and 14 no one in that organization is going to be able to survive that Mike Francesa firestorm. Right. Because
1: the owner is gutless. Gutless. Yeah, and we've seen that approach work across sports. You talk about it in the NBA. The 76ers are now a top-five NBA team. I just got done reading uh, Astro Ball by Ben Reeder, maybe the best book that I've I've ever consumed. And uh, Jeff Lunau put that process into – Action with the Astros, the Astros are now a top five MLB team uh, in the, the Sashi only got, you know, he got less than two years, but the Browns are one of the, the brightest, one of the teams with the brightest futures in the NFL. And, you know, you go back to, so there is a narrative that, hey, if you get the quarterback pick wrong, oh, it's going to set you back forever. Well, guess what? First of all, it's not going to set you back forever because nowadays the way that, Draft picks are slotted. There's a slotting system. Sam Darnold only costs you $7 million per year. If you mess that up, you're going to know after a couple years, and you can move on, and you will have lost games if you get him wrong. Um, You also can get it wrong and still get it right.
0: Yeah, it used to be that Lee Steinberg could have you over a barrel if you drafted a quarterback in the top 10. That's no longer the case.
1: Right. Let's look at the Bears right now, okay? Did the Bears get the Mitchell Trubisky pick right? I don't even know.
0: The worst of three quarterbacks drafted in the first round,
1: but because of the flexibility that having him on a rookie deal allowed the team, they were able to go get Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel and Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack, and re-sign Kyle Fuller and sign Prince Amukamara. You know, and and they went freaking twelve and four, and we're not even sure if they got the quarterback pick right. Yeah,
0: lit money on fire with Taylor Gabriel, lit money on fire with Trey Burton, doesn't matter. They got the quarterback right, and the quarterback is playing well at value, and that is the greatest competitive advantage in sports.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if Mitchell Trubisky played well, but because they were just willing to you know, be aggressive and get that quarterback on a rookie deal and get rid of Mike Lennon, they were able to splurge on free agency and literally rebuild their team in the matter of one offseason, and they went freaking 12-4. and
0: Yeah, adjusted yards per attempt for Mitchell Trubisky, 6.9. That was number 16 in the league. True passer rating, 84.3. That was number 26 in the league. By some metrics, he was top 15. Others, he was outside the top 20. But because he offers mobility, I believe he was slightly above average. Yep. This is a slightly above average quarterback on a rookie deal, and it unlocks the franchise's potential exactly so if we're running the giants how far do we go with this rebuild do we trade beckham do we trade barkley even
1: how far do you go i mean i you 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 go you go the farthest You, you go the farthest because you are in the biggest hole in the nfl right now you're in the biggest hole in the nfl you're you're trying to give up you know you're trying to get rid of janoris jenkins and olivier vernon i mean it again it depends on what your goal is if you want to compete in 2020 then you, you think about keeping, you know, you definitely move on, move on from Eli and you play Dwayne Haskins in year one. I don't, this is another narrative that I don't like, that you, you want to bench your rookie quarterback. Like, I, I don't understand it. Let him play. You know, Mitchell yeah. Trubisky played and benefited and he he kind of stunk as a rookie, but he got better in year two. Jared Goff played as a rookie. He was awful. He got better in year two. He was
0: goffle
1: Carson Wentz wasn't very good as a rookie. He had a couple good games. But he was bad overall, and he took a huge leap in year two. That is the trend. And Carson Wentz was an
0: old rookie, Evan. Sam Darnold was 20, and it benefited him. If there was ever a case for letting a quarterback sit a year and develop as a rookie, it was Sam Darnold, and yet they played him, and he logged the best QBR in the month of December.
1: But people are drawn to the out. And look, and also you have to understand, you only have the quarterback for five years on his rookie deal. Let's maximize those five years. People are drawn to outlier situations, though, like Alex Smith and Mahomes. And so, I mean, th- you know, that's what they point to. They don't look at the bigger sample and the actual league trend. And, and certainly the Chiefs were not wrong to sit Patrick Mahomes. They were just in a very special situation. They had big time playmakers and Travis Kelsey.
0: The Packers were in a special situation with Rodgers and Favre.
1: Sure, they were. And Aaron Rodgers wasn't ready to play, period. Uh, early in his career that that was one of the reasons that he fell so far in the first round number one number two I mean they were so not sold on Aaron Rodgers that they used a second round pick on Brian Brom and a seventh round pick on Matt Flynn the year after they moved on from far so they still had questions about Aaron Rodgers to the extent that they used a freaking second round pick on Brian Brom
0: so do you think the Giants have to move up if they want Haskins
1: I do. I, I think that they need to get into the top three. I think that their ideal trade partner would be with the Jets. Um, you know, they're such a spineless organization that they might. Oh, we can't make trades with the Jets. They play in the same city. You know, but they also wouldn't
0: make trades with the New England Patriots. Remember, the New England Patriots were aggressively pursuing Odell Beckham, and John Mara intervened and <laughs> called off the negotiations because he was worried that because the Patriots were so aggressive that that they knew something the Giants didn't and that to me is amazing trading Odell Beckham Jr. to the Patriots last season would have been a mistake and John Mara intervening saved the organization from making that mistake but the roots of that decision come from having no conviction that you could be saved by your own weakness is poetic
1: It's a, a organization that makes its decisions based on fear and feel, and that's why why they are in the situation that they're in. It wasn't so long ago that this this organization was winning Super Bowls, okay? But it's been a long time, okay? They have they have missed the playoffs in six of the last seven years. They have a losing record in five of the last six, and they are continuing to dig themselves into a deeper and deeper, abiding by the thought process. That is make Eli great again, and they deserve it.
0: Psychologists talk about this concept that we as human beings often attribute success to our abilities and discount the effect of randomness on outcomes. And we do the opposite when we fail. We blame bad luck, right? So in New York, they win two Super Bowls, and they believe that it's a reflection on their own good judgment rather than a catch by David Tyree that defied the laws of physics. If we want to trace back the roots of this hubris, it goes back to those Super Bowls in many ways. And for me, if I'm rebuilding the Giants, the reason why I would trade Odell Beckham and I would trade Saquon Barkley to maximize future assets to start at zero and build from the ground up is Sashi Brown released a positional value sheet that ranked the positions that they would prioritize in the draft and quarterback was number one, cornerback was ranked very high, left tackle ranked very high, but neither wide receiver nor running back were listed as organizational cornerstone positions. So I agree that Odell Beckham is one of the best wide receivers in the league, and Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the league, certainly the best young running back, but regardless, because they don't play positions that, either help you win at the point of attack or are skill positions that dramatically affect per play success and the outcomes of games. Well, that's the bad luck of you and I taking this job with the giants in this hypothetical world is that we would be inheriting a team with zero high value cornerstone assets. And for that reason, I believe nuking the entire thing going as far as trading Saquon Barkley would be in the best interests of, of the New York Giants franchise and it is the last thing that they will ever do
1: yeah I I don't disagree I think you could definitely get a one for Saquon Um, I think you could get maybe even two ones and maybe more for Odell Beckham uh, even with his his bad his you know very costly contract you cut Alec Ogletree you know you cut Olivier Vernon you cut Janoris Jenkins you start like Kyle Loretta you don't draft a quarterback this year you trade down. That's right. Um, Right. And you continue, because you only have two picks in the top 107, you know, and everything's no man's land as uh, Justice Mosqueda, who you should have on the show, by the way, he did a great report on that, just using as a basis for successful picks. Do players at these slots sign second contracts with their team? No man's land begins at pick 97 and pretty much everything from picks 97 through 208, are about the same very low probability that you're going to get a second contract player and then of course 208 or 209 through 255 or whatever are just nothing but you know up above that you have a much higher rate of second contract players but you only have you're the giants you only have two picks in the top 107 you need to get as many picks inside that 1 through 96 slot range as you possibly can and that should be your goal if you're going to take the Jeff Lou now, Sashi Brown, Sam Hinkie approach that has been proven so successful. Problem is, you know, it's this is so unrealistic, like it's just straight up not going to happen.
0: It rarely happens in the NFL and we're never going to see it happen in New York.
1: Well, it's going to happen in the NFL, but it's not going to happen on, on John Mayer's watch.
0: Right. It rarely happens in the NFL. We might see it in Miami. There may be a day in the future maybe sooner rather than later, that the Dolphins are no longer Dolphining, which would be great. It seems like we could only have one NFL team at a time rebuilding, and of all the teams in the NFL, the Giants seem the least likely, even though they're the ones that most need this particular medicine. I'll get you out of here on this. Scale of 1 to 10. How fucked are the Giants? 11. Didn't Dave Gettleman invest a first-round pick in Jonathan Stewart when the team already had D'Angelo Williams on the roster, and then sign Stewart to an extension so that the Carolina Panthers were paying more as a percentage of their salary cap for running backs than any other franchise in the history of the NFL?
1: No, no, that was that was Marty Herney.
0: Oh, that was that was Marty Herney. But but still, I like to think of Dave Gettleman doing that.
1: We can leave that out.